Good morning. Last Sunday we celebrated our fourth birthday as a church. If you missed it, I'd highly recommend you catch up. It was amazing. There is so much to celebrate and to be thankful to God for among us as a church. Today though, I just want to pick up on the final part of a series that I've called United in a Divided Time. If you missed any of it, I speak in series, so today will make more sense in the light of previous weeks. And I'd encourage you, you can catch up online again. The Probably the easiest way to do that is now on our app. The next series that I'm going to do will be called Clash of the Kingdoms. We're in a spiritual battle and we need to be equipped to best live out our faith in that reality. Please, would you pray for me as I think about that and prepare that one? That is no small topic, but it is so needed. In this time, though, we're not in a sprint. We're in a marathon. I don't think it helps to set ourselves a specific time frame of when this day might be different to how it is now or to pin our hopes on a certain event being able to happen or something that we dream of. You know, as we enter this second leg of this pandemic, one of the challenges that most of us face is our resources are drained and depleted from the first leg. And most of us, though we have a different way of living, we're, we're emerging now, we, 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 we're drained, we're exhausted. If, if anything, the outlook in the days ahead isn't looking good as we now go into that from that place of depletion. So how do we cope? It's complex. Many of us would say we're exhausted physically, mentally and emotionally drained. What we're seeing all around us is people who are not sleeping well. There's an increased risk for many of using food or drink or sadly many other things to help um, people feel better in this time. Honestly, self-care is crucial right now. We long for each of you to stand firm in your faith. 1 John 2:24 says this, so you must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. You must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. This is a time to stand firm. We have to connect and reconnect with the vine. This really is a John 15 time for all of us. It says in John 15, it says this, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. We ourselves need to remain in the vine and we need to invite others into that place of connection with him. Who we are now, who we will be afterwards, the place that our hope comes from, all of it comes from a connection to the vine. I know this is a tough time for many of you, but honestly, in moments like this, remaining in the vine allows us to mine for gold. We can hold the tension, even as many, in many ways our hearts break, we can still deal in hope. As we look back 
on some of these moments in a future time, we may just have a degree of gratitude that as we've sought to embrace all that was and all that is really happening, secure in the knowledge that by his spirit, God is really living among us. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. My encouragement this morning in this moment is without him, we can do nothing. Remain in him, fight for ways, find ways, seek ways to remain in him. Let's just jump into the final part of the series I've been doing called United in a Divided Time. I said each time I just wanted to give you a phrase, something to hang your coat on. And today's phrase is this, humble opinion. We're going to very briefly look at three things, uh, what, I, what I think would be helpful for us as we consider it and reflect on it in this series. The first one is humility breeds unity. The second one is unity strengthens the church. And the third one is unity spreads the gospel. If you remember nothing else this morning, I'd say remember this, humility has a huge impact on unity. Humility has a huge impact on unity. Just to prepare you, I think today I'm gonna to share way less stories than normal. I'm just aware of the time, I wanna keep this short, but also next week or whenever it is that we launch into the Clash of the Kingdom series, there'll be way more stories and it'll be much more of a practical thing for us to explore. So firstly today, the first one, humility breeds unity. You might want to reflect on some of these passages at a later point, but it says this, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who has been crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my pe preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever or persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Paul was referring to his first visit to the Corinthians uh, during his second missionary journey when he founded the church. Paul could have overwhelmed his listeners with his intellectual arguments. He was a very, very gifted scholar. But Paul's confidence was not in his intellect or his speaking ability, but in his knowledge that the Holy Spirit was helping him and guiding him. Honestly, I often think unity breaks down when anything we do or how we relate starts to become about us. When it becomes about our needs, our egos, having a need for our desires to be met or for us to stand on somebody else to get to the place that we think we need to be. Paul refers in this passage to the delivery of the message and his preaching. Just because we aren't all seen as preachers or teachers doesn't mean we shouldn't sit up and take note of what he's saying because it has huge and very powerful implications for us because our lives are supposed to be sharing a message. Who we are and how we live is a very powerful communicator of the gospel. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything else except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I would rely only on the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Sometimes when we see a person on stage moving in the power of the Spirit or whatever it might be, speaking eloquently, our automatic response so often can be, that's great for them, but I could never do that. What we're really trying to do is encourage everybody to step in and feel confident in kingdom ministry. There's no superstars. Not only can everybody do this, but everybody's contribution is equally valuable. That mindset also then allows us and gives us the freedom to risk and then to say, well, actually, it didn't go as planned. But what did we learn? What next time would we do differently? And we go again, we try again, we risk again, we step out again. I'd say the same humility needs to be bred in our models of leadership. You know, unlike managerial or professional models of leadership, the key is not mastering certain skills or accumulating some form of knowledge. The key is humility, humble character and humble dependence on Jesus. As we read the Bible, we discover that Jesus, Peter, James, and we could go on, all encourage those that they're writing to, to be humble. Humility is a clear understanding of, what, of, of where you end, of where the part of you ends and where you God come to the beginning of God. Because humility is taking an honest evaluation of what I've accomplished and then asking myself the question, what have, what have I actually accomplished without God's guidance, his provision, his wisdom, his grace and his leading? The answer is actually nothing. Beginning with every breath I take, I could do nothing without him. That perspective will allow us to foster humility. If we are to boast about anything, let's boast about him and him alone. That's why there's, there's, there's no, I, I love it in the vineyard actually, there's no, there's no big show, there's no big voice, there's no big words. It's really just a natural thing. It's us realizing who we are, it's not about us, it's about him. That allows us to focus on God and point the attention off ourselves and onto Jesus. That people might not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. How will that change you this week? The Father gives grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. How might we live differently when we reflect on that this week? I'd, I'd always say take encouragement, always take encouragement, but the glory of that encouragement goes to God. What we do, we do because he strengthens us. It all belongs to him. It's not us in any way. Humility breeds unity. And from that place, I believe, we flourish. Second thing is this, unity strengthens the church. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says this, now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't, re doesn't really know very much, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognises. Now, Paul's been asked some questions about how meat has been sacrificed to idols, and there's a bit of a debate going on. But the bit I want to focus on in that passage is this. While knowledge makes us feel important, it is love 
that strengthens the church. Knowledge is so, so good. I am in no way trying to lessen that, rubbish that, but this really, I believe, comes down to motives. Do I empower or do I disempower? So often people can find their identity in a job or a role. It gives them security. It's the thing that they know something about and it can allow them to feel safe and they can form from that their identity in that and through that. Knowledge can make us feel important, but it's love that's going to strengthen the church. Love is more important than knowledge. Knowledge can make us look good, it can make us feel good, but we can all too easily fall into the trap of developing an arrogant know-it-all attitude. Many people with strong opinions are unwilling to listen to and learn from God and from others. Sometimes I think we've got to reflect on that, we've got to think about that. Am I moldable? Am I shapeable? Do I allow people to speak into my life? And if not, why not? Is it because I think I'm always right? Is it because knowledge has started to become a hindrance and a stumbling block to me? The thing that I need is love. And as I release love, it will strengthen the church. Only our humility will breed unity, which will strengthen the church. One of the things that we're always trying to do is create environments of connection where people can relate to each other to pursue greater and a deeper relationship with Jesus. Creating an environment where the freedom to not only be honest about our struggles, but also where we can fall short because we do fall short. Where we find our life identity and our worth in Jesus rather than in ourselves. Absolutely, don't hear me wrong, gifting and anointing comes from God. But attitude and character are often forged and formed in our lives through challenges. Sometimes one of the challenges is that we start to become disillusioned, potentially because we're not prepared for the challenges. I'm often not disillusioned when things are difficult because I actually sometimes I expect that. I expect there to be a wrestle for unity and a wrestle for unity in the church. I expect there to be a spiritual dynamic in all of this because that's what the enemy is trying to do. He's seeking to kill and destroy and divide, to disrupt unity and he tries to cloud our judgment and how we interact and relate to each other. That's one of the things he does but we're seeking to bring Jesus to the forefront that's what it's about. 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. We want to be people that feed the unity that God has called us to. And we do that by being loving, by acting in love and from love. And as we do that, we will see a unity grow among us that will strengthen the church. Again, I just wonder if we need to ask ourselves some questions on some of this. Where is that not true? in our lives and where could we go after it harder to see it become a reality. Our natural tendency can be to want to talk to, to socialise with the most important person in the room. But Jesus would have done the opposite. He would have gone for the last, 
the lost and the least. And as we step into those places, as rather than focus on our own need, we focus on the need of others. We start to foster a mentality of unity and allow the Spirit of God to breathe a unity among us. John, sorry, 1 John 4 is actually really straight talking on this. Verse 16 says this, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them and as we live in God our love grows more perfect. Unity strengthens the church and that unity and strength comes from and is fed out of a motive and a heart cry to love. Love God, love each other, love those around us. The final thing is this, unity spreads the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.22 For when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessing. I find common ground with everyone. Have you ever thought about that phrase? It's quite, it's quite a challenge. Do you find common ground with everyone? Some of you have been waiting for this. Don't, don't, don't worry. I, I have saved the best for last. You've been waiting for this moment for me to share this. But last weekend, there was a certain game of football. Man City played Leicester. David played Goliath. And David won. He won convincingly. Leicester won 5-2. Anyway, some of you, you're rolling your eyes. You're like, here we go again. Paul's talking about Leicester or Bacon. This week, it's Leicester. I miss those moments of you right now heckling me in person. Anyway, I've kept quiet about the whole thing. If I'm, Well, sort of quiet, kind of. I was keeping quiet. I'm not anymore. But I was keeping quiet, particularly after the game, because we live predominantly in a Man City area. And these things can get really complicated. I want to find common ground and not stir up division. Anyway, just before the kickoff, my postman, my dear friend Gary, he texts me and he said, Paul, I need to know where your loyalties lie today. This is before kickoff. And uh, I, I was, well, <laughs> man alive, it's complicated. I'm like, this, this is the city that has adopted us. We love it dearly. We gave our lives to Jesus here. You know, we live here. One of our children was born here. But this is a big question. You know, we get on really well, me and Gary. And I've, I've sought to tread very lightly at times, but particularly with this in the way that I answered, because I knew this was a really big deal to him. I know it sounds funny to some of you. It is just a game to me, but to some people, football is a very serious thing. And I, I, I actually thought that Man City would hammer us and it just so happened it was the other way around. But in my thinking, I'm thinking common ground, common ground, common ground. I know it's a light-hearted light illustration, but understand the point of what I'm saying because I knew straight away for him this was a pressure point. Our common ground has often been talking, laughing, joking about football, but through that common ground, that has been the thing that has often opened the door for me to talk with him about Jesus. It's been exactly the same with our neighbours. One is blue and one is red. You know, I know for many and for other people, it's many different things as we seek to find common ground. But how can we as quickly and as easily as we can find common ground? So often we find the thing that divides. Well, I've got children. I'm in this life stage. I've got that job. I'm unemployed. We'll find the division and we'll say, well, we can't. We shouldn't. We, it's not possible. In, in a church community, age stage 
all of that should not matter because we're for each other and we love each other and we find common ground and we show and express that to the world around us. We find the thing that allows unity to build, the safety of relationships to be felt and the opportunity for the spread of the gospel to be extended. I try and find common ground with everybody doing everything I can to save some. You know, I often, and I'd encourage you to do the same, I often ask myself this question, do I? Do I try and find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some? Do I try and find common ground? Do I? If I'm going to find common ground, I can't push forward my thinking. I can't think I'm right. I can't have my axe to grind. I can't let my stuff spill over. Am I sensitive to the needs of others? Am I looking for ways to relate? Do I seek ways to help others feel accepted and empowered? I'm not trying to find my common ground. I'm trying to find a common ground with the other person. I need to know, therefore, and I need to hear their story to know how we might be able to relate. Doing everything I can to save some. Is it on the tip of my lips? Does it affect how I spend my time, how I pray, how I relate and who I relate to? It should do if we're going to do everything that we can to try and save some. Am I constantly looking for ways to share Jesus with others? Or have I just started to become relationally comfortable and it's just run over, tick of, of the mill? Can I just finish where I started? One very powerful way for us to communicate to the world around us in this moment, I believe, is us being in the vine. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Our anxiety ridden world is currently filled with turmoil. The world around us is divided in, and increasing in that division. As followers of Jesus, if we deliver unity and attribute that unity to a relationship with God, we will go far in conveying their inherent human need for divine intervention in this time. To genuinely walk in unity requires a dependence on God and it isn't attainable in a breakneck 24-7 news cycle culture, but only, only when we remain in him. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. I trust that is a blessing to you this morning, but why don't we just spend a few moments in ministry?